Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. We have come again, once again, to that time of the year when we try to pretend there's no evil in the world. When we, you know, walk around thinking, you know, about how we should be good towards people and, and you know, should be goodwill towards man and peace on earth and all those things. But the fact is, there is a lot of evil in the world. And I think it's legitimate to meditate upon the manner in which God through his actions at the time of the original activity, which we commemorate now, tried to respond to that. The world that Jesus was born into was as dangerous a world as the one in which we live. The only thing that has changed is improvement in weaponry. So you can kill more people. Judea, which is what the Romans called it, was an occupied country. And most Jews didn't like being occupied. There were terrorist groups amongst them that were determined to drive the Romans out of Judea. They excelled at slipping up behind Roman officials, you know, in large crowds and slipping one between their ribs and then getting out of Dodge before anybody figured out who they were. There were riots in the streets. You had struggles between the Pharisees and the, the uh, Sadducees. Uh, <coughs> You had what looked like extremist religious groups. They weren't really, but groups like uh, the, the Essenes and what have you were further out in the desert and appeared very pious and maybe very dangerous, at least to the Romans. The fact is that from the time that Adam and Eve fell, at the time that mankind rejected the kind of life God had called them to, well, the universe had been turning into a cosmic cemetery with a mess. And it has continued to do so because of the fall and because of our lack of ability to get our collective rears and gear when it comes to following Christ in the kind of life he taught us we should try to live. Now, the reading from Matthew, what I did this evening, talks about how when Jesus was born, and the reading at Matins referred to uh, his, his, his naming as well, that they named him Jesus, and I've talked to you about this before, they named him no such thing. Uh, they named him Joshua. That was our Lord's name. Iesus in Greek is Joshua in Greek. So if you read the Old Testament in Greek, every time you see the name Joshua, you're going to see Iesus. But it was not a special name made up for him. It was Joshua, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, Arabic Yeshua. So, you know, couldn't they have done better than that? You know, couldn't God have come up with a better name? Maybe Abraham, maybe Moses, maybe David. He's the son of David. He's of Davidic descent. You know, I mean, what's going on here? Well, remember who it was who led God's chosen people into the promised land. It wasn't Abraham, he was long dead. It wasn't Moses, 
He died just before. He got to see the promised land on the other side of the Jordan River, but then he face planted. And no, he didn't get in there because he had disobeyed God. And God had told him in advance, you're going to get to see it, you're not going to go. I mean, it's like going to Disneyland and getting stuck in the parking lot. I mean, there's nothing there except, you know, all these cars around to look at. He had scorpions and snakes and rocks. I mean, that, that was it. And they buried him there. The one who led the people of Israel into the promised land was, of course, Joshua. This, this young general who, you know, you know from Sunday school, fit the Battle of Jericho and uh, by use of trumpets and maybe selective earthquakes or whatever, managed to bring the walls of the city tumbling down and was the one, he and his army cleared their way into the promised land and then began to clear the promised land. Because believe it or not, a whole bunch of people already thought it had been promised to them. Now here this new group shows up saying, well, no, I'm giving it to these people. So they had to clear out the promised land. They had to get rid of the, all of these people, uh, you know, who were already living there. And that was a long and bloody process. So it took 40 years to get there. Uh, it took some time to uh, to cleanse the place, ethnically cleanse the place, and then uh, start to settle down themselves. So we begin to see some reason why our Lord was named Joshua. It has something to do with leading people to freedom, with leading people to the fulfillment of the promises that God has made to them. Like I said, in Hebrew and Arabic, it is Yeshua. You translate that into Latin, you get Yesu, uh, because in Latin, J is pronounced like a Y. And uh, in Greek, you get Yesu. So each culture, each language, basically gives him a different name, which we don't know because we're reading it all in English. For most part, for the most part, and you know, we, we simply assume that yeah, that, that that's what he was always called by his mom and dad. By the way, his mother wasn't called Mary; she was called Miriam. In Hebrew, it would be Miriam. It would be Miriam today, you know, in Hebrew, or is Miriam today, and would be in Arabic, Miriam. Okay, so we have this connection, therefore, with this infant <clears throat> just born and a warrior general, which doesn't seem to do a whole heck of a lot, uh, until we ponder more about what it means to be free, because it's not just a question of clearing out the promised land for yourself to settle down there. Freedom also refers to interior things, it refers to, to, to our lives, it refers to sin, it refers to intellect, uh, it refers to, to how we live. What does it mean for us to be free? We use the word freedom a lot, but we don't hear a lot of thinking about what it means, or a lot of talking about what it means. In the book of Genesis, it tells us that we were made in the image and likeness of God. An image of God, we can, we can understand, I think, reasonably well. But what does it mean to be like God? It doesn't mean you become divine. We know it doesn't mean you become God, we become God. 
So what does it mean to be like God? Well, God is the only being that is completely and totally free. No one can command him to do anything. No one can push his buttons or pull his string. So to be like God is to become free. And the way in which God responds to everything that was going on in the world then and everything that is going on to the world now is to establish the road to that freedom. But that road is not just one in which we kick and strike and, you know, knock down. It is a road that is interior. It is a road that is inside. Because the freedom that we lost at the fall was a freedom that was unhindered by sin, that was unhindered by ego and narcissism, which was unhindered by remembrance and vengeance and anger and all the things that today push our buttons and pull our strings. So, God offers to us, and we commemorate this every nativity, his incarnate word, who becomes a unique being. I think we tend to forget that. There is only one God-man. Part of his nature is divine, part of his nature is human. There never was one before, there will never be another. Because when he comes the second time, he'll be coming to judge the living and the dead and basically wrapping up the whole agenda. So the gift that is given to us every Christmas and every day in our life in the church by God is the potential of freedom. You know, the Benedictines, uh, the Benedictine monastics, and I'm, I'm a Benedictine oblate, you know, have their three monastic vows. I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, one of them was in Latin, conversatio moratum, which people have been arguing about since Benedict wrote it down. But basically it means to be obligated to be open to the possibility of change, of personal change, a development, a growth, however you want to define this. And that means that if we're going to follow Christ, if we're going to be faithful to God, then we have to be open to the directions that God may take us, which we don't understand because we haven't gotten to them yet. But that's the only way that freedom comes about, is to clear your life of those things that control you, those people that control you, not by destroying them, but by transforming them, and by allowing yourself to be transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. Think of that this Christmas. If you're not snoring like some of us will be by the time we get done with tomorrow. Think of this gift, this gift as we unwrap the other gifts. We are called to be free, but it's not a free gift. We have to work for it. We have to be willing to change ourselves. We have to be willing to change the way we see and respond to other people, to situations and events, and to the judgments that we would make to all of those people and those events. Think about this as the gift and the possibility of a new life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. 
Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.